Hello and welcome to another episode of TARDIS Tropes. I'm David. <laughs> and I'm your companion, Hannah. And, uh... <laughs> and uh, we're talking about four whole episodes today. We're, we're really packing this one. Uh, so we'll try and move through them quickly. We're doing a giant hooapalooza! Right. Just to get everybody prepared because the two-part season finale is coming. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Uh, so we want to keep up. Uh, um, whew. So, so these four all together is truly, like, quite a bit of plot, but also no plot somehow. Does that does that seem about right? Well, I mean, it definitely seems like there are individual things that are happening that are important to the season overall. Uh, but at the same time, it's like the the filler episodes. It's like what you know. What do you even point out as an important plot point in that? Because it's all just so meaningless. Um, <laughs> so we're doing Fugitive the Jadoon today. We're doing Praxius. Can you hear me? And the haunting of Via Diodati, or however you pronounce That's it, Villa, right? Uh, Villa Diodati, <laughs> uh, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, so let's let's just start where we begin. Fugitive of the Jadoon. Uh, what did you think of this episode? Okay, so I was I was not spoiled for this episode somehow. Um, and okay, so when you actually got to the moment, yeah, because there's two distinct moments in this. There are. They're the two big moments. Spoilers, obviously, for for all four of these episodes. Um, the first is the first, yeah, the first big one is Jack Harkness coming back. Jack. Um, we yeah. got Jack. So Jack's back. And I love Captain Jack. Captain Jack's back, and he's just as flirty as always. He kisses Graham thinking that he's the doctor, um, you know, which is the second time someone's made that mistake, sort of an in-joke. The doctor's usually... A middle-aged to older man, uh, so it makes sense to make that assumption for him, I guess. But also, his sensors were scrambled by Jadoon, who are also back. Yep. I guess that's you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Russell in this episode. Yeah, it's almost like an entirely cribbed Russell episode, but like kind of worse. <laughs> Um, but but no, I, I think I, don't be too hard on uh, it. I mean, I think that I mean, in a lot trying. of ways it gets what's interesting about the Jadoon. It, it doesn't just treat them like an invading alien force. It does the whole they're cops thing. They're really terrible alien cops, right. uh, and you're they're... free to hate them, right. which is great. <laughs> I love that we're allowed to hate space cops. <laughs> All right, it sort of treats them the same way like a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide treats. The oh shit, I can't even remember the the species name now. Vorgons, the yeah, Vogons? the Vogons. That's what it is. Treats the Vogons. Right, they're, they're like bureaucrats. Like they're bureaucrats, obsessed with rules. You know? Yeah, it's like and and that's sort of. I I will admit, I did like the doctor's way of like thwarting them a little bit. Was kind of like parliamentary procedure almost, you know, where it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm yeah. So she just like makes up a, a law. Right. <laughs> You're breaking procedure 617L. Right. Like they're so <laughs> lawful neutral that they're just like, oh, of course. Gotta check the rule book. Um, so I. Right. And I, it, I mean, that. it helps that, uh, it helps that like, um, Yaz is is helping out and you know because she's yeah. like I'm a cop so I represent Earth cops. They gave Yaz a thing to do stuff. Sort yeah, of. it's always nice when the companions have stuff to do at all. Um, but mostly what they do in this episode is they get teleported away so that the Doctor can be on her own 
and they all get to meet one at a time, uh, Jack Harkness and all of his sexual innuendos. Uh, yeah, they certainly do. Um, but I love Jack. Of course, I mean, he's a great character. Uh, he 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 might not have fit in as well in in the Moffat era because he is just sort of a campy, wonderful, fun character. I mean, maybe I guess he'd fit in with like the the Madame Vastra crew. Uh, but like most of Moffat's stuff, it's just, it's too different in tone from Russell T's era to, to include Jack. So I guess he kind of had to wait for that to be over I, for I him to come back. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Okay. I think, you know, if they had wanted to bring Jack back in during Moffat's reign, I think they could have found a way. Um, but but you're right. He is pretty campy, and I think he's definitely extra campy in this. But, like, it's a breath of fresh fucking air to these, like, pallid-ass companions who are, like, put in a room with him, and it's like he's talking to cardboard cutouts, you know? Like, <laughs> there's no distinct personalities coming from any of them. It's just, they're all like, whoa, someone who knew the doctor? What? And, like making jokes about Graham kissing him and you know right. like it's it's nothing yeah I don't know it's I think it maybe Chris Chibnall is good at writing other people's characters he feels like he gets those mm. but when it's when it comes to writing his own maybe he has trouble with it I mean that would make sense because um, you know I've never had a particular issue with his character writing of you know the doctor companions and like his his tenure years, yeah. uh, under other showrunners, it's just he, right. He was great at writing Amy and Rory and their back and right, forth. Right, he can do. But banter. of course, he all he often wrote those episodes with the showrunner. Right. So you know, it's a it's a question of how much effect does a showrunner have on on tone and uh, on dialogue and stuff. Mm -hmm. But maybe that goes for this episode as well. I mean, we also credit must be given to Vinay Patel, who wrote one of the best episodes of season eleven. Um, the uh, the demons of the Punjab yes. episode, and this is easily the best episode of this season. Uh, I mean, yeah, like you know, far and away for sure. Um, I yeah, it it is. Like I, I keep thinking because there are parts of in all of the next, well, not all of them, but <laughs> in two of the next <laughs> that that I really enjoy. We'll get to Praxius. It's fine, guys. <laughs> But, um, like, um, like yeah. the, the uh, three out of four of these are pretty enjoyable, and... Right. I think this season is definitely leagues ahead of season Oh, 11. my God. And we were a little wary of it with Spyfall, because Spyfall it's was... such a mess. ...terrible. And then to follow it right up with Orphan 55 was, like, really heartbreaking. Right. But, uh... <laughs> But, I mean, somehow it feels like we've entered in a, a sort of era where I'm excited to watch Doctor Who again. Yeah. You know? Like, I kind of I, care. I, I enjoy watching it, even if it's definitely, you know, it's it's definitely one of the worst seasons that I've seen. It's, yeah. It's, it feels like Doctor Who again, to some I, extent. I would agree with you. I, I think, you know, no one... Or, you know, if someone is saying that Chris Chibnall's the best Who writer of all time, I'd like to meet that person. Because <laughs> <laughs> unless they're also Chris Chibnall, I don't know who they are. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I would say Chibnall, right. e even just among the new Who writers, is still at the bottom of the pile. But this season is, like, five times better than the previous one. Um, cause it's at least trying, you know, it's, it feels like it's got ambition 
and that it's trying to make all of these ideas work, whether or not they actually do is sort of, you know, how you view the execution. And and to be fair, he is just, you know, cribbing a lot from Russell T era, you know, and just saying, (laughs) let's do that. Can we just go through all of the Russell T ideas in this episode? Because there's so many. Right. So we've got, We've got the Jadoon, we've got the, you know, the callback to the the planet uh, Gallifrey being destroyed, which we found out about in Spyfall, but it's a major plot point here. Yep. Um, Jack. There's Jack. And then the there's other the, uh, big reveal. The, um, the fob watch thing, but this time it's a fob. Lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> lighthouse. Okay, I guess that's a twist. Um, and then... Uh, is that it? What else is there in this one? I I mean I guess yeah I guess that's it. It's it's that's pretty much all of it. But the the fob lighthouse for those of you who again don't know why are you listening to this? Um, <laughs> it's it's the doctor. It's like the fob watch from uh, the family family blood. Is that the one? Right. Yeah, that yeah. was the first time that it was used, and then again in Utopia right. for the Master. And so, yeah, you're just you're, the whole point is that there's this fugitive of the Jadoon. They're tracking her down, and then you think that it's this one guy because this guy has come up with like a criminal rap sheet for him. Yeah. Uh, but it's not him. It's his wife, who then. Once we find this out, she starts doing karate moves and ripping off Jadoon horns. And then we're like, okay, something seriously is up here. And then we go to a lighthouse because she's like, I remember I lived in a lighthouse. And then you find out, oh my god, this character, Ruth, is the doctor. Yep. What? You find that out. <laughs> and not a future doctor either. Like a past doctor. Or something, question mark. <laughs> So, you know, there's lots of speculation still uh, because we haven't gotten to the finale yet as to is she Dr. Negative 1? Is she Dr. 1.5? Yeah. Dr. 2.5? You know, we don't know. Is she an insert? Is she from... Uh, Chibnall has said he, she's not from another dimension. So we don't even know what to call this doctor. Uh, I don't know what the fans are calling her, but I w- I'm going to nominate that we call her Dr. Ruth. I like it. Like the, the, like the sex therapist from the, <laughs> from the 80s. Yeah, look it up. Oh my Dr. God. Ruth. Oh she had a TV show and everything. All right. So I guess that's what we're calling. I mean, like, I would also refer to her as Dr. Ruth. Um, here's the problem with Dr. Ruth. She's a way better doctor than the current doctor. <laughs> well, she's more, you know, morally ambiguous. You know, it's a clear, like do-over of the war doctor eh, kind of thing. Not at all. I disagree. I I think well, she's... Well, what is her real, like, doctory characteristics other than that she's, like, a badass? I mean... <laughs> well, first of all, it's not like John Hurt's character was, like, a badass. You know? Like... Yeah, but he's, a, like, a war doctor. He's, like, he's like he's morally ambiguous. I mean, he's, he's like, a... I don't know... The guy at the end of Saving Private Ryan. I guess it's Private Ryan. Spoilers for that one, guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The guy at the end of Saving Private Ryan. What was his name? (laughs) Who was buried in Grant's tomb. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah. The... (laughs) 
she's like the old grizzled veteran to, you know, this doctor's Rambo. You know, like, it's a different kind of soldier, mm. you know, that we're talking about here. One is is sad about all the war that happened previously, and the other is, like, in it. Rambo. Yeah, they're Rambo. They're just Rambo. Um, but So, okay, Dr. Rambo. Dr. Rambo. She, you know, her, the main thing that she does that's, like, but it's not very doctory. She, like, picks up, like, a laser gun, right? But she's I mean, she doesn't, And she, like, rips a horn off a of Jadoon. Like, none of these things are particularly doctory. They're just kind of badass. I mean, they're badass. But even in the moments where, you know, she's just a normal human, like, the actress does an amazing job of just, you know, giving this character yeah, life. Yeah, I believe her name is Joe Martin. Yeah. Yes, I think um, so. So that's, she plays Dr. Ruth. And, yeah, no, I think the characters are really likable in this. And I felt the same way about Demons of the Punjab last mm-hmm. season. So I, th- I want to attribute this to Vinay Patel. I, um, I would. Even though, you know, I have no proof of that. <laughs> but I think just he's better at making, like, likable side characters that you're actually invested right. in. Right. Um, As opposed to, like, Chris, who will just write, you know, or, you know, uh, uh, hyphen with a three <laughs> and then, like, kill her off off screen or something. Oh my god. Hashtag justice for hyphen with a three. Um, <laughs> or, not. or not. It's fine. She died doing what she loved, dressing as a furry. Um, <laughs> but yeah. The characters are great. So so I liked Ruth's character before she even became the Doctor. And then as the Doctor, it just felt like that character was, you know, sort of turned up to ten or turned up to eleven. You know, like, yeah, she's badass, but she's still very joyful, personable, outgoing, which, you know, are all very doctory traits that, like, they try to give Jodi, but her she's also socially awkward, they've decided. So, like, every personable thing she does is just, like, uncomfortable instead of endearing. Um, right. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't know. I didn't pick up on any of that. I think she was just fine, and, and she was, you know, just sort of a badass. I don't know. But she... the doctor... But but she brings out something in Jody, which I think is is worth noting, which is it, it raises questions in her about her, her moral absolute, you know, which is how she's always portrayed in, in Chris right. Chibnall era as like she's always the morally correct one and this causes her to doubt herself to doubt her own experience and that creates internal conflict that we literally have not seen until now i mean um, yeah but it's a weird internal conflict to like just suddenly be having you know and well it's it's sudden but i think it's i I think it's more effective than just having her not have any internal conflict whatsoever i mean yeah but but i feel like this is also this the same conflict that every doctor meeting other doctors has is you know it's like oh i can't believe this guy you know or like that guy's doing this what you know like it's always the... well, no, no 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 it's because she doesn't remember this particular doctor it's I she's mean, learning something new about her own past mm-hmm. uh which is something it's something new for her to to doubt herself um, not just to be like, oh, look at this guy. What's he doing? Yeah. But um, I, I I think that works, and I think that it's in the in the final confrontation of the episode where she's up against this Gallifreyan uh, and a bunch of Jadoon guards, and she's like, you know, oh, you guys are here on behalf of Gallifrey. Well, I'll tell you something. It blew up already. <laughs> so get out of here. Yeah. 
And it was like a, it was actually like a good line, a good speech, and it felt very doctory, and you know, it was it was a call for peace or whatever. Um, and then Doctor Ruth just gives her <laughs> a gun pointed backwards, and she shoots herself. I I mean, it's just always funny though to have Jody preaching her moral absolutism when like you know they don't they're they're not consistent right but i think in this one she's i don't know i think she's starting to Maybe. i don't know to doubt herself she goes up to her friends and she's like you don't know me you know i've i've lived a long time before this and they're very supportive they give a nice friendship speech which oh, i like i hate the friendship speech though <laughs> i like a friendship speech i like friendship speeches this one is just nothing though it's like platitudes it's like the the captain planet of friendship speeches you know like give me all friendship speeches are platitudinous by Uh, definition i mean i guess well i think that just about wraps this episode what what you know anything else of of note here i mean the i think the plot twists do land yeah i forget has there been a lot of backlash about the fact that there's now a black female doctor or no i mean i haven't heard anything about it but i think you know the only backlash that you could have really is just that it's like it's kind of uncreative to just be like oh yeah and then there was another doctor again which we just (laughs) did for the 50th anniversary but we're just doing it again and i feel like at a certain point that could lead to some narrative exhaustion like oh for sure you know, just sort of burn out in terms of storytelling where you just run out of twists. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the only criticism that I could imagine for this. I mean, no, once you have already done a, a female doctor, it doesn't really make any sense to then get angry that they've done another one. I don't think it's angered any other people besides the people who are already angry about Jody. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, good on the internet on that one, I guess. Uh, all right, number six, Praxia, episode six, Praxias. This one's bad. Right, this one's a dip. <laughs> this one's a dip for coming right after a really solid episode. This one is Birdemic. I don't know. Have you, has, do you guys know what Birdemic is? Is that, is that a reference that still that functions on the internet? It's like uh, it's like it's like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, but with an environmental message. Yeah. Uh, is it about like so a disease like, that comes out of the tar pits or something and infects the birds and they go crazy? That's about the gist of it. I don't think it comes out of tar pits, does it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like the tar pits are like reheating or whatever because of global warming. I, I could be wrong you know i think it was just i think it was just super bird flu and birdemic i think it came um, from the tar pits like it was an but ancient in flu. this one it's not bird flu no. because that is no longer a reference that people who watch the show even remember because they were too young the the new the new danger is a super flu that's caught that eats it's a pathogen that eats plastic and because the birds eat the fish and the fish eat the plastic there's plastic in the birds. And then the birds spread the pathogen to the people because we... people also <laughs> have plastic in them because they eat the birds that eat the fish. And the the fish. And the fish that eat the fish. And just the water. And and the moral of the story is give a hoot, don't pollute. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's basically it. Um I don't know. This one is has the same thing that uh, <laughs> Orphan Fifty Five. 
Oh, well, I mean, yeah, it's the same message as Orphan 55. Don't pollute. Do something now. Build a recycling But also the same, today. like, disposable side characters. Same disposable side characters. And also the same opening with, like, three simultaneous, like, tracks that we all have to follow and converge upon um, that Spyfall does. And also, I do have to say that um the next episode can you hear me does as well where like they split up and like three different things start happening in three different places and then we have to connect them all and this just feels like a weird trend for this season right another weird trend is that literally every single one of these episodes so far takes place majority on earth yeah isn't that kind of bizarre um typically we have more space centric episodes but for this one we've decided okay Spyfall on earth in the present uh-huh. or movie five secretly on earth in the future <laughs> nikola tesla earth in the past fusion of the jadoon there it's mostly in each earth. of these we teleport onto a spaceship for like a second yeah. but like we spend most of our time on on the on the terra firma uh and that's here as well yeah it's pretty much all on earth oh no it is literally all on earth because you know they end up in like a weird i don't even know cavern sea spaceship yeah and the indian ocean garbage patch and it's like a spaceship that hangs out down right there. because that's where the scientist that's an alien is breeding the pathogen so yeah. she can test it on humans in order to create a cure and then they think they found the cure but she tries it on herself yeah and it kills her which seems like bad science yeah it seems like bad science to like just test random uh random cures on yourself when you (laughs) haven't tested them on your own species yet and also to use as test subjects uh beings that don't share your physiology Uh, that's also a weird 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 thing (laughs) you know it's like there's a reason that we as humans do certain testing on like rats or monkeys or pigs or you know whatever we're testing on because what the thing we're testing functions similarly enough in humans that like you could make that jump you know not just like oh i don't know we'll try it in this thing and see how it goes let's just shoot pig flew into our veins <laughs> as far as this episode goes i think that the the biggest flaw is just tough to follow yeah there's like, just a lot there's so many elements that they're introducing in the first half which are supposed to make us think "Ooh, this is a mystery mm-hmm. but, but then the mystery is solved by just the doctor going birds <laughs> what do birds eat plastic yeah what if the disease eats plastic and i'm like i don't know how you reach that conclusion first of all i guess you're just the doctor and you can just do that but then what was the point of all this stuff like okay there's so many aliens with laser guns that are chasing after and trying to shoot yaz and graham and they're on one part of the planet and the doctor's on another part of the planet getting more people and oh the spaceship falling out of the sky well that was just an accident yeah and okay and then again whatever i no, i totally agree plus we end up with like six extraneous like side characters because we get the the like astronaut who fell out of the sky there's one of them who dies one of them who's like dying and his like gay ex-cop partner 
like uh right well he's the one that we're supposed them. to focus on because he well, has yeah. an arc yeah which that arc <laughs> is he's got an inferiority that arc is i need to learn to have more self-esteem in this relationship because i'm assuming that you're about to break up with me so to show my commitment i will try to sacrifice, sacrifice myself. myself yeah which doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite of commitment. Well, I don't know. It's I'm committing so committed to death. I mean, yeah. It's Till true. death do we part. <laughs> and now we are parting. Like. But the doctor just, you know, forms her TARDIS around the uh, around the, the people right before they die. Which I always <laughs> am curious why she doesn't just do that all the all time. All the time. I mean, it bothers me in other Doctor Who episodes as well. But usually they at least, you know give a reason why the doctor can't go back for people or right oh god like specifically orphan 55 like of this season you know like yeah that's rough it's pretty a lot of people died in that a lot of people seems like seems like you could just go back for them yeah anyway anyway so that's praxius Oh, we didn't even explain. Praxis was the name of the disease. Oh, yeah. Which, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. About, Just, but... yeah, there's those side characters. There's also, like, a, a blogger, vlogger who has, like, no purpose. Oh, she's unbearable. Yeah, she's the worst. Um, the only joke is that, like, she thinks she's a famous internet celebrity, but no one's ever heard of her. But they don't even, like, play that up. Yeah. You know, they could have made her, like, a really egotistical sort of Jake Paul type character. Also, her fake-out girlfriend slash long-time friend. travel buddy friend, who's her best friend ever, dies in, like, the first three seconds of this episode. And she has, like, no reaction to it, basically. At all. She's, like, a little bit, like, miffed. Yeah, she's, like, miffed and is, like, I'll kill somebody. Or, like, I'll kick anyone's ass in revenge. Um, And that's, like, the one thing she does with Yaz. I don't know. It's kind of nice that Yaz, like, has her own little adventure on this one. Even though it doesn't make sense to have it. But... Yeah, she's really... She's really, like, proud of herself for discovering a spaceship... Yeah. But she thought she was on another planet, and then she's really disappointed that she was not on another planet. Yeah. It's a weird little side gag that doesn't work. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah, so this was another Chris Chibnall co-written with uh, with Pete McTie, uh, or Tyhe, or however you pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, Chris um, is really getting his hands deep into this season. Yeah, well, he did last season, too. You know, he he did the first two episodes, and then he co-wrote uh, another episode, and then he wrote two more, and then he wrote the finale. Uh, so that was a lot. But in this one, I think he wanted to work closer with some of the people who might be, like, taking over for him when he's done. So he co-wrote with Vinay Patel, Pete McTighe, and the next episode's writer, uh, Charlene James, Um and so there are very few episodes in here that are that have no Chibnall on them. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. So then we get uh, "Can You Hear Me?" episode seven of this season. Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> How did I know you were gonna do that? Um, again, <laughs> yet another episode that opens with you know three simultaneous things happening that all connect eventually sort of yeah i this one's supposed to be like a spooky 
episode, right? Yeah, like, both, am I crazy? both these next two are supposed to be kind of spooky, right? Like, Right, I mean, like, this one is about nightmares, and then the next one is explicitly about, like, a haunted house. Yeah. So, like, but, like, how do you have these two back-to-back? Like, I don't planning know. planning this season out? <laughs> and then, furthermore, like, they neither of them are even a little bit scary. <laughs> no, okay, I'm really glad you said that, because I was, like, especially in Can You Hear Me, I was like, okay, I get it, like, like, if you're a kid or something, this would be kind of scary, but, like, is it? It's really not. No, it's a story about a, 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 a you know, a girl in, in 14th century, I think it was, 14th century uh, Aleppo. The whitest girl in Aleppo. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there, I mean... Their skin is pretty light in in, in Aleppo, I think, but you know. The she's point being, still the whitest, either way. She's still the whitest. Okay. Well, the, the she like has a nightmare about a big like hairy monster thing, and that's like the scariest thing in it is just this awful CGI furry I, monster I didn't man. I think the CGI and even was he's kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> what? I agree. He was sort of endearing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to the point where she like you know captures him like a Pokemon and then releases him <laughs> later in the episode. I to know. Great effect for an episode that's supposed to be about quote unquote nightmares. It's truly not very nightmarish. Like there have been so many Doctor who episodes that deal with like fears and like what it means to be afraid and you know Moffat especially had a talent for it right well I think that I think that Chris was sort of doing a reaction to uh to Moffat who you know famously wrote so many spooky episodes and hide behind your couch episodes that he was able to do one where the monster was nothing (laughs) And it kind of made sense yeah. for his characters because that's just how Moffat writes. Uh-huh. So I think Chris is trying to do sort of wheel that back. Not as many scary episodes that are about nothing. Why not make, you know, just not scary episodes that are about the concept of having fear? Yeah. So that's Can You Hear Me? It's about a spooky man with Somehow, tattoos. though. Still much more entertaining than Praxius. No, definitely. I mean, this is much, much better than Praxius. But it's still not as good as Future of the Jaduner. I don't think it's even as good as the Nikki Tesla episode. Nikola Tesla, yeah. I I mean, I will say... The... Be- because the villain is just so weak Yeah, in the villain is kind to, of nothing. To me. And he's not, like, campy enough. Yeah. He's just... He's just there. And he's a bald man with tattoos. And, like, a and... wrinkly face. Kind of. And his fingers I, can okay. detach from his body and fly into your ear to suck out your nightmares, the, like the which things, he uses to feed his friend who lives in a ball. The things he does with his fingers, like the, like the purpose of the fingers detaching, is very dumb. But like, I will admit, like that was one visual that did sort of get me is like the fingers detaching or like the fingers in the wall or whatever. Well, like, that didn't get me yeah. at all. I in mean, fact, I just found that to be the funniest part of the episode because <laughs> he's just like, I know why they detach because if they didn't detach, you just have to watch a man stick his finger in the ear of like a fifteen-year-old girl. <laughs> I mean, and that would not be very good to watch. <laughs> I mean, you're right. 
They probably could have found a way to do it that wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it would have been really fucking hard. Well, why didn't they just do it the way, you know, you typically depict somebody, like, stealing someone's dreams? There's, like, you know, they're dreaming, and then somebody, like, siphons out, like, energy from their head, you know, through the air. It doesn't have to be a finger in the ear. That's such a bizarre image. Yeah. It's It's not what I would have done, certainly. (laughs) I mean, he's basically the boogeyman, right? I mean, they literally reference the boogeyman where, you know, a mom tucks a kid into bed and and is like, I promise you the boogeyman's not real and leaves. And then, like, the wrinkled dude shows up and is like, that's not true. (laughs) It's just so dumb. Yeah. Um, so he's just, he's stealing dreams. Why is he stealing these particular dreams? Because he's trying to get the doctor to do something. Uh, and, and he knows about the doctor and knows that the doctor will help free his friend. And, uh, so he's targeting, like, he kidnaps, uh, Ryan's friend who I think, I think he's, uh, what was is he an alcoholic no, or is he a PTSD? I thought he was just depressed. Oh, yeah. He has depression. I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, They don't, like, reveal that until the end. So well, they I, also, I didn't know what he had until... They also don't state what it is exactly. And it's implied that, like, Yaz was previously suicidal. And, like, she ends Wait, up... was she suicidal? I thought she just ran away. Well, they're saying... I don't know. The, the way they're implying it seemed like, you know, they were worried she was going to, like, do something to herself. I think that just, like, get yourself hurt because you're running away from home. That's how I took that line. Uh, I, I don't know. It To me, it implied, like, suicidal. Well, this is, like, a whole new, like, backstory for Yaz. And we're g- kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But the point is, like, the Nightmare Fingers guy yeah. puts all of the main characters into nightmares. And so we can learn what their biggest fear is. And it's all... And they're pretty generic. Yeah. I mean, they don't really add to the character very much. No. I mean, it's like, okay, Graham, he's afraid his cancer's going to come back. Like, I, I feel right, like what, so... the entire you know, dynamic of Amy and Rory was just constantly like, what are their fears? <laughs> like both about each other and like about like other things happening, you know, like, like so much of Moffat's area was about exploring fear that like this just rings so hollow, you know, there's nothing yeah, I mean, informed. Well, you didn't have to do a whole episode to just be like, what's Amy's biggest fear I mean, or whatever. That wasn't necessary. This is cause you just knew what her motivations were and you knew, what she cared about That's and what true. she didn't like, you know, she yeah. doesn't like to be abandoned and left alone. That she's got a real trigger for that, and she really likes uh, Rory and cares about him and wants him to be safe and happy. But she also wants to be free and have adventures. Blah 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 blah. She's a very easy to understand and describe character. Yaz, on the other hand, she wants to be a better cop. She wants to help people. She wants to be of use. Um, and she's, I guess, afraid of if she had run away and no one had stopped her, then I guess she would be alone. It's like a, a revisionist history nightmare of like, what if something happened that didn't? Right. It's a really weird fear. Like most nightmares are about like the future, right? It's like something could happen and that's my fear. But she's fearing... Like the 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 wrinkle face tattoo head guy gives like this strange speech in the middle of the episode where he is like humans are such funny creatures they 
their biggest enemies are themselves thinking they can't do this and can't do that it's hilarious uh, like their self doubt, <laughs> and it's basically like the fucking tweet about like God giving apes anxiety, and that's a human. Like, like that's what his big villain speech is, and like it's so dumb. And like his motivation is just I'm a big spooky villain who wants to create nightmares. Right, I'm an uncaring god who likes fucking. I'm a troll basically, and my troll girlfriend, who's the best at trolling feeds on right. nightmares i mean for a god for an immortal it's like they're very easy to to stop yeah you just have to put them in a pokeball <laughs> yep yep that's that's <laughs> it that's how it's resolved the doctor puts right. them in a pokeball. ryan's fear i think was the one it was simultaneously the most generic and the most specific because he's afraid of um of like missing out he's got fomo you know He's afraid that if he, you know, spends too much time with the doctor, he'll miss out on, you know, his life at home and everyone will grow old without him. But he's also... Or he'll grow old without that. Or, yeah, I guess. But that's not how, how his dream goes. His, in his true. dream, he shows up and his friend is old. But he's also... They bring back the, the dregs from Orphan 55. And so it's sort of an environmental fear that like the earth is going to be destroyed yeah. while he's gone and he he could have stopped it somehow. Yeah. It's like it's a very That's w- weird. I will say I do like Ryan, you know, towards the end of this episode is kind of has a a nice little character moment with Yaz um you know where wow, oh my god, the companions actually talk to each other and it's not like useless like banter. Um, but he has this nice conversation with her where he's kind of like, like, how long can we keep doing this? Um, you know, which to me is sort of hinting that, you know, maybe Ryan will be exiting the show, question mark. Maybe they'll all exit the show. Maybe they'll all exit the show. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Except for Jody. Jody's definitely (laughs) staying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just like, you know, what, are they going to kill Graham off with cancer, give Yaz a, a promotion to lead cop, and uh, and then just have Ryan, like, say, peace out, I'm going to go date Yaz while she's a cop or something? Yeah, I don't know. Because they're still trying to pull that romance angle. I mean, they okay, so they try to pull it a little bit in the next episode, but, like, is there anything between now and, like, when was the last time they did, like, a Yaz-Ryan romance mention? Like... Um, it was definitely in Orphan 55. Was it in Tesla? I don't think so. Papa, can you hear me? Nothing in Fugitive of the June, Jadoon. Nothing in pra- um, Praxios. Just, like, they're sort of hinting at it again in... Here. Well, the thing is, if they had any chemistry at all, we wouldn't even need to be having this conversation. That's true, but I they mean, don't. This is Doctor Who, right? Shipping is part of the the charm. That's a very true. Um, I I know people who have shipped uh, the Doctor and um, and Donna. You know, like right, like that's that's so, part of it. It's, yeah, I mean, shipping's part of it, but, like, these characters just have no chemistry with one another. (laughs) When they're at their best, they're split up. Yep. Oh, God, it's so true. Maybe that's the biggest issue. I mean, it's not the only issue with the companions, but maybe that's the biggest, is that just, like, 
they and Jody have like no chemistry. They can't like just nothing jives together. Yeah, and, and you know the writing's just not funny the way it was. The dialogue isn't punchy. You know, it's just not the same show that it was. It's a lot more just paint by numbers. The mystery element is usually sort of just the doctor asks the villain a question and then the villain will explain calmly and collectively what their plan is. Um, which happens in this episode where they specifically have a wonderful little animated <laughs> sequence to explain their whole backstory. Yeah. I. Which, thank God. <laughs> it was a really dumb villain monologue, but... I, you know, I like the idea of sort of appealing to, like, a, a mythic idea. Um, I don't think they pulled it off at all here, but I, I don't hate right. the Right, well, concept. I mean, Doctor Who is so good at going mythic because usually what they do is they'll just take an existing myth and then they'll, you know, do, like, a little twist on it. Like, oh, you never thought that, you know... Like Hercules was an alien. Right. That's usually what they'll do. They'll yeah. just say Hercules was an alien. Uh, you know, they do what they'll do in the next episode, which is like Mary Shelley got the inspiration for Frankenstein from uh, a Cyberman. You know, like right. Yeah. Great. Um, but yeah, like this does not feel very mythic. It's just you know, I'm the spooky nightmare god, and this is my best friend also a spooky nightmare god she got trapped in a pokeball um because the the people on earth hated that we gave them all nightmares and forced them to try and kill each other it also seems i mean i guess it's just the power is feels like a ripoff of you know so many other nightmare like villain characters it's just like it's just nothing feels original about any of it they're just sort of vaguely powered but like they just eat nightmares for lunch like it's not it's not like they use them in an interesting way you know the fun thing about a lot of the bad guys is that oh yeah they steal your thoughts but it's like always for like a more interesting purpose than just we eat them <laughs> right but they can't all be winners uh this one's not a winner I don't know why it's called. Can you hear me? I think one of the character, one of the villains, says that at one point. But yeah, it's like they say it in the the cold open. It ends with someone saying, "Can you hear me?" Right? Oh no, no the the villain lady says it to Graham, right when she's trying to lure him because she's there. just like psychically contacting him. But the whole point is just that these villains they just are trying to get the doctor to show up and free her. Yeah. And so it seems like they could just ask, yeah. you know, why not just psychically contact her and say, help me, I'm trapped in a Pokeball, that's let the, me out. That's the other thing, Jody's just like really fucking gullible too. She's yeah, like... well, but she always is, because she just loves, you know, she's a, you know, a guileless, you know, I'll, I'll help the needy, yeah. whoever that may be. I mean, that's her deal. Even if the needy is actually a corporation <laughs> who's not needy. Um. All right, let's let's talk about the last episode. The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which is about Lord Byron and Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley, their friends, uh, who all live in the in a big mansion together. Which is true. That's real life. Um, and I, you know, it's I think it's pretty cool, like that all of these like great writers and thinkers and scholars were in one 
house. And so the doctor thinks that too. And so they just show up on the night that uh, that supposedly Frankenstein, Frankenstein was conceived. Yeah. And just say, like, this is the night where you guys uh, have a writing contest. So we're just going to sit in and watch. You know, that'll be fun. And then that doesn't happen. And the doctor's like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, so first of all, uh, uh, Lord Shelley is missing. Per- was it Percy Shelley? What's his actual name? Yeah, Percy Shelley. Um, sorry, I'm bad with the names of... of uh, pre-victorian the only reason i'm this good is because i actually i listened to a fascinating podcast on the topic of these people not too long ago oh yeah um yeah i'm trying to remember which podcast it was on um so i have a little bit i had a little bit of historical context going into this which was also interesting i don't know if i remember it i'll i'll (laughs) shout it out um (laughs) but so yeah, the yeah Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, and uh, Lord Byron, and a couple of other randos are hanging out, and uh, Shelley is sick, and so they're like, "Oh no, what do we, what do we do? What's happening?" And then the house itself is like haunted or whatever. Um, yeah, it's a classic haunted house story. You know, we've got random things keep falling over and breaking. Uh, a skeleton starts <laughs> scrambling around the, the house. I mean, here's the thing. And then none of the rooms lead to the outside. I mean, I think it's pretty classic haunted house stuff. Um, I would say yes. I think for a minute there it goes into, you know, this sort of subgenre of haunted house movies where or, or stories um where it's not that there is something haunting the house it's that the house itself is haunted and like the horror comes from from there um i don't it obviously doesn't fully commit to that as you know it turns out to be cybermen or the siberium or whatever the fuck well the doctor always has to give an explanation yeah i mean that's the that's the doctor. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, I think there are definitely a lot of stories about haunted houses where it is just like a ghost. Oh, yeah. Or no, there, there totally are. There's tons of those. But um, uh, I, I definitely find the stories where, you know, it is the house itself and like our, our just like fear of architecture almost like like just as a horror trope in general is kind of interesting to me. Um, and so I thought it was going in that direction, but no, there was like an actual ghost ghost type alien thing, but you know, there was something causing the, it. The house also, I mean, it's, it's more like a haunted house in like a, in like a, uh, a tourist trap kind of way. Right. You know, like it feels like the characters have been challenged to a contest to spend the night in a spooky mansion. Oh, it right. doesn't really feel like we're experiencing horror in this episode. <laughs> no. It's just like, oh my god, how do we get out of this house? Like, no one's really scared, and it's like, oh no, spooky skeleton! Right, oh, like no. at one point... And then they just smash it with a hammer, and it's like, oh, well, that you know, I guess that deals with right, that. Right, and it chokes Ryan in, like, the fakest way I've seen... <laughs> anything do anything in a long time well I, yeah i mean like it's shown in just like a super obvious way obviously he takes the prop 
and he grabs it to his neck and pretends he just, like he's trying to rip it off his neck. He just doesn't you know, fucking you do. sell it at all, though. You know, like there's okay, just no yeah. nothing going into that performance. Uh, oh God! Oh Doctor Who. So this episode was written by Maxine Alderton, who it was fine. As far as I can tell, mostly does uh, this this. Um, this uh, soap opera that like airs like an episode a day, oh. and I have no idea how they keep to that schedule because I don't understand how soap operas work. <laughs> but uh, she has written like six hundred episodes. Oh my of god! This. So this she did no, just more like a hundred episodes, but, but she's still. written like a hundred episodes of of this uh, this British soap uh, called uh, oh, it's called Emmerdale. Um, and it's been going since like the seventies. Wow! And does, like seven episodes a day. It's it's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's uh, you know accomplished writer. She she wrote this episode for sure, and it has like some soap uh, qualities to it. I feel yeah. There's like the love triangle thing with like Byron hitting on the doctor, which honestly makes sense. And like, why have Lord Byron in your fucking <laughs> Doctor Who episode, and he's not gonna hit on the doctor. Um, we haven't had that before, though, which I think is interesting because hitting on doctors has been a staple of the renewed series since we've had sexy doctors, which is everyone after Eccleston. Yeah, and even Eccleston got flirted with. Yeah, so there you go. I don't know. It's it's just interesting. Now they're finally equal. Equality achieved. Sexism is over. Someone has flirted with a female doctor now. Well, I'm just saying maybe they were a little bit afraid to do it because she's a female doctor. You have a fear of objectifying her. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really throw off the, the episode at all. It's just like a weird little side thing. Yeah. But then we, we're also bringing back the Ryan-Yaz thing. And, like, but Yaz, only... this is, like, her explicit line about, like, I have a thing for this bloke. And he doesn't really notice and it literally took me about, like, two two or three seconds after she said that to realize that she was talking about Ryan. Because I was like, what? I, oh, I'm sorry. Where did this plot point go? It's been, like, dancing in the wings for half a season now. Like, why? Oh, okay, I guess we're still doing this then? I, uh, like, it just so. came out of nowhere. It's, 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 it's not it's here. compelling. Well, they just they have no chemistry together. They're not really defined enough as characters. We don't know what they want. Right, they all they have don't, no wants. They don't joke and flirt with each other. It's just Yaz occasionally says, like, I like him. And Ryan just says, all right, whatever. All right. It, it, it doesn't add anything. No. I mean, really what this episode is about, when you get down to it it's about confusing the audience as to how time travel works because <laughs> as soon as the cyberman actually shows up and it's like i'm looking for the siberium it is inside of this guy and they're like okay we well we can't let the cyberman kill uh percy shelley percy percy shelley because he's 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 a writer and if any writer dies, that means that all of time is destroyed because you're destroying people reading about his ideas. And therefore, 
you're changing their lives. And so something clearly written by writers. Right. Words matter is like the literal line that she says. Words matter. Oh my god. And it's like, all right. Don't bully, guys. Words matter. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, okay, so if this one person dies, that's worse than anyone else dying. Right, because... And, like, how do you know that this isn't supposed to happen time-wise? You know, you can just see all the little things that, oh, he's not meant to die at this moment. He's meant to die later, so... Yeah. There you go. Then Doctor does this, like, weird thing where... She does, like, a neat trick where she psychically teleports his brain to the moment of his own death. Which tricks the the kind of crazy. Yeah, it tricks the 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 parasite thing, the AI living inside of him into thinking he's dead. So it pops right out. And then it goes into the doctor for like a hot second, and I was really excited here, um, because I thought that we were gonna get like some of this like Cyberman like chasing the doctor through space, like the doctor's got like this weird, you know, maybe give some actual like consequences to Jody, um you know like having this thing inside her affects her in some ways but no it it just the doctor has to give it up uh, to save percy shell because immediately afterward the cyberman is just like give it to me or i'll blow up the planet yeah and it's like well you could have said something before right i mean we would be just absolutely blessed if you could you know, not blow up the planet, please. Yeah. Like... I don't understand that specific plot point. It's like, if he had that the whole time, why is he just walking around the house going, give me the formula. <laughs> I'm I'm evil. Ravioli, ravioli, give me the formula. Yeah, he could just blast it out of the sky right. and say, all right, give me, you know... Give me your formula, surrender or die. Or I'll kill you. Yeah. I mean, the whole point was that, like, his weapon systems were damaged, so he couldn't use them, but he doesn't need it. He's literally got a giant laser cannon in the sky. Yeah, that's fucking true. I didn't even think about that shit. Oh, my God, that's so true. Um, they... uh, I don't think they do... I don't think they do Cybermen right. I mean, I, I, I'm I, very prescriptive when it comes to Doctor Who villains. <laughs> it's like, you can do them right or wrong. Okay. I mean, I said the same thing... Like, I think Moffat, every time he does the Daleks, he fucks it up. He's terrible <laughs> at writing the Daleks. He doesn't get it. Okay. Um, that's my personal take. But I, I think that this writer does not get Cybermen. Because this Cyberman is extremely emotive. He's like, you know? a, but he's like an unfinished Cyberman. That's like the... But, but the whole horror of the Cyberman is the lack of emotion. There's... Absolutely nothing scary about a person wearing a bug suit with that's made of metal, you know, and just going, me robot, me kill. Right. That's not scary at all. What's scary is it's like they're going to convert you and transform you into an unfeeling thing. And they sort of get that, you know, the Frankenstein illusion between Cybermen and Frankenstein. Right. Frankenstein's often referred to as the first cyborg because he's a combination of science and human body parts, um, technology and humanity, like in conflict. And that's the Cybermen. But 
to just have it be like, I am evil Cyberman. I care not for puny humans is like totally missing the point. Uh, I mean, I, I guess like I, I understand that it was there to do so that, you know, Mary Shelley could give that speech um, where she's like, you know, it's the same speech that, uh, you know, that the, the Frankenstein gets at, or the monster gets at one point, um, you know, where there's a lot of sympathy and empathy for the monster. Um, but then, you know, he proves to be truly monstrous and like, uh, but I, I, I'm actually going to backtrack that because I totally agree that it would have worked even better if he wasn't like mean and vindictive about it. But if he just literally had no emotional reaction, like he, he right. Like... I mean, that's that's what's spooky about it is that it's, you're drained of all humanity and you just become like a machine. I mean, I really, 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 really liked the Doctor Falls, you know, the season 10 finale where they bring the, the Cybermen back to like their really old roots where they just kind of looked like people wearing socks on their heads. <laughs> And it would seem like, oh, well, that should make them just much more silly and less threatening. But no, it ups the horror because it just feels like, yeah, there's a human underneath all of that. and But it's not human anymore. Oh, but it's uncanny, would you say, it's, David? It's plenty uncanny. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, I don't know, just being able to see his face and he's like smiling and cackling evilly is like... It just really irks me. Yeah. And, I, you know, I know I'm being really prescriptive and, like, oh, yeah, the fans, don't, they're never satisfied. <laughs> you know, they everything has to be Listen, just so. Every Everyone has their thing, you know, and. This is my That's thing. your thing. It's, it's, it's all, um, it's a matter of taste, but, like, I understand what's informing that taste, you know. It's not coming from nowhere. Yeah. Um. Um, but also I just think that we've had so many cackling supervillains in this, right. in this season, almost every episode that isn't just like mindless monsters is like <laughs> or voluntarily evil people just going like, it's either I hate humanity and want to see them suffer. Like, right. It's either that or pollution. Right. Like if those are your two options, like you're not left with anything that creates an internal conflict within the doctor. Right. And I mean, I just, I was rewatching like an old clip from Chris Chibnall's, uh, season five episode, cold blood, um, with the Silurians. And it's already like so much better. I mean, it has a lot of the same tropes. Like there's a scene where the doctor is like interrogating, the Silurian, and he just asks a bunch of questions, which she doesn't respond to, and then at, after, like, the fifth question, she just starts telling him exactly who she is and what she is about, which is exactly the Chris Chivnall thing that he does all the time with Jody. Yep. Um, God. But, uh, but, but it's still, it's so much better because the Silurian thinks she's right, and she has some reason to believe that. Right. She's somewhat justified you know she wants to reclaim the surface world because that's where she used to live <clears throat> i don't know it's it's not just ooh cackle cackle i'm evil bad guy right but that's what we've got now we've got the dream the nightmare <laughs> man the fingerman yeah the evil galaxy destroying uh scorpion things from tesla whose name i already forget right 
Yeah, I mean, I guess they could, because they're scavengers, maybe they think they're right, but I think for the most part, they're just being pretty evil, like, <laughs> we're gonna kidnap you and make you invent stuff. Here's here's the thing that I think is interesting about this episode. So, this is the payoff to Captain Jack, and I, we forgot to mention this, but in Fugitive of the Jadoon, he, you know, basically comes back with a message for the Doctor, which is, uh beware the lone cyberman don't give it what it wants and this this uh most recent episode um is where that's paid off and we meet the lone cyberman who is this angry cyber droid um and what he wants is the cyberium and he gets it so i guess we'll see what happens because of that now, right. but also I mean, we still haven't touched on any of the Gallifrey stuff, really, and like the Ruth Doctor. Well, we touched on it in the Jadoon one, so it's right, like, but that you know, was three episodes ago now. Like, why? It's just I wasn't expecting things to pay off in this order, you know, or like I expected them to pay off. I was, altogether. but yeah, I mean, like. This is what I was expecting was that the you know the lone Cyberman would show up. I was expecting it in this episode. I was expecting it to be the first thing that happens in the next episode. Mm. But I think doing it as a three part finale actually does make more sense. Um, it makes it seem like the whole season has more continuity to it than it actually does. Yeah. No, I, I I think it was a good move to put the Cyberman in this episode. I think it was surprising because you think you don't think Cyberman when you think haunted house. No, in Italy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with Mary Shelley. Yeah. Right. It works. I don't know. Oh, no, yeah, it totally I'll, I'll does. buy it. And then, oh, but what I don't buy is like the, I've got to give you this Siberium because it could cost millions of lives right. it's interesting. if I don't kill this one person. <laughs> but if I don't kill this person, I can still save all the millions of lives. Right. It, it, that will also die if I don't do it. It's interesting to me that Chris Chibnall was involved with the three episodes before this, and then obviously the final two for the finale, but, like... Well, he didn't take a writing credit. He was involved with every episode. I mean, mean, yeah, but, like, he didn't have a writing credit on this one, but this is the one where, like, the Cyberman, like, warning kind of pays off. Though I guess the next episode is Ascension of the Cyberman. So yeah. like we'll we'll fucking see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what's up. And then we're gonna deal with the timeless children. Finally. And that's all we've got left in this season. Oh it's god. all gotta resolve. It's too many things. It's so many things. Oh god. It's gonna be a mess. And uh I bet it's I, I have a feeling it's all gonna collapse in on itself. I think the master's gotta come back. Okay. I think that maybe even like uh, the 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 Gallifreyan who shoots herself with the laser gun in Jadoon might come back. I mean, and uh, the Ruth Doctor's gotta come back. Doctor. And Ruth has gotta come back, and maybe even Captain Jack will come back. I'm pretty sure he won't. But... He's gotta, though. No, wait, why does he gotta? I mean, I guess he doesn't, but, it, like, that feels wildly disappointing. Well, yeah, but it's basically what Captain Jack always does, is he just shows up with a vague warning and then flies off to go no, have more space sex. Sh- <laughs> yeah, but he usually shows up for the battle. Like, he's he's horny and right. he's... Well, that's Russell T. I mean, he might have other projects going on right now. At least I hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like him. I hope he has work. Yes, yes. Um, I, I also hope he has worked, but I also hope that he is in one of these finale episodes, because I, I love me some Jack, and 
Yeah, yeah. He, I hope he is, but I don't spot. think he will be. All I think right. they could only get him in the studio for one day, and they had him shoot, you know, just one scene, basically. He doesn't even get to meet the doctor. That's, like, the real thing for me, you know, is that he doesn't even get to see Jody. I feel like he's got to. All right, maybe he'll come back. We'll, we'll have to see. I've been proven wrong on this show before, so... <laughs> All right. Let's check it out next time. Those are our our takes. We'll see you for the finale. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.